We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Hello everyone, welcome along to a special edition of Rotoviz Radio. You are joining me today on the NFC West edition of the Rotoviz NFL Draft Preview Series. My name is Colin Kelly, the Assistant Executive Producer of Rotoviz Radio, and I'm excited to bring you today's show. We are doing 32 teams, 8 reporters, 8 separate podcasts, breaking them all down, and I do urge you to go and check them all out as they come out as we lead up to the draft. A few of them already out, some more coming your way in the coming weeks. We're covering the team needs, free agency, some draft rumors, basically everything you need to know between now and day one of the NFL draft. Today on the show, as I mentioned, it is the NFC East, and I'm going to be joined by Grant Cohen of the Santa Rosa Press Democrat. He covers the 49ers for the team. You can follow him on Twitter at Grant Cohen. In a moment, we're going to look around all things NFC West. But before we do that, I want to let you know that you can still get a 30% discount to a Rotoviz NFL pass through the Rotoviz NFL podcast homepage. That is rotoviz.com forward slash podcast. Your subscription will give you unlimited access to all our NFL content and tools. And best of all, it supports the pod. The work that's been going on there over the last couple of weeks is sensational. Everything's been kind of revamped. We have a great team on board. Curtis Patrick and, and Mike Beers and many more, as you'll have heard, discussed on the network. And you'll have 
have seen it through our social media platforms uh, fantastic content going up on a daily basis so make sure you check that out and of course as i mentioned save yourself 30 percent discount just by going to our link rotaviz.com forward slash podcast all right now let's get to the guest Joining me now on the show is Grant Cohen, who you can follow on Twitter at Grant Cohen. He is a columnist for the Santa Rose Press Democrat, where he covers the San Francisco 49ers. We're going to talk a little bit of NFC West today. Look ahead to the NFL draft and look at the four teams in particular. So, Grant, first things first, uh, thanks for jumping aboard the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. You, you've been uh, a kind of mainstay here on all our uh, draft or preseason previews or season recaps. So it's fun to have you back aboard the Rotoviz platform. And it's always uh, a couple of great nuggets that come from you. So delighted to, to jump into some. So I guess what we'll do is the first things first when we look at the division. Obviously, one of the teams in this division had a huge amount of success last year, just falling short to the Patriots in the Super Bowl, that one being the LA Rams. And then, of course, we have two of the teams with the, the lowest records in the NFL last year, one of them holding the number one overall pick that is the Arizona Cardinals and then of course we have the 49ers as well who are up there at the very top so it's going to be an interesting dynamic because the the power has kind of shifted from obviously it was the Seahawks and 49ers with the stronghold in this division six or seven years ago and now it's gone back it's, uh, it's the Rams uh, and the Seahawks are still kind of fighting it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic up there as well but what, what do you think looking back at the last season do you think the way things all shook out uh, in this division was kind of as was expected heading into the year or do you think we've seen a couple of things that we weren't quite expecting we probably thought the Rams would take that next step forward obviously as I mentioned got to the Super Bowl but were you expecting any differences from the, the Seahawks the Cardinals or the 49ers from how things shook out well I think the Cardinals result was predictable they were starting uh, they had a rookie head coach and a rookie quarterback. So no no surprise, they only had three wins. I think most people were expecting the 49ers to finish second in the division, and I think most people were expecting the Seahawks to take a step back. I think Richard Sherman was expecting that when he came to the 49ers. And I think what was so interesting, obviously the Niners had their reasons. They had their excuses. They lost their running back and their quarterback. But beyond that, they just don't seem like they have established a winning culture yet. And this has been a problem – uh, dating back to 2002. I mean, the only winning seasons the Niners have had is when Jim Harbaugh was the head coach, and he sort of imposed a winning culture on the team that they couldn't sustain. So, yes, the Niners had excuses, but they were 0-8 on the road, and I think they they, they showed some stuff like uh, problems tackling, a, a complete inability to produce turnovers on defense. They really didn't look like a um, – playoff caliber outfit, even even if they had Jimmy Garoppolo all season. I think that was surprising. Then you looked at the Seahawks. They went through a reloading period, not a rebuilding period, but a reloading period and did it as well as pretty much any franchise in the league could do, maybe aside from the Patriots. They're extremely tough. They uh, rebuilt their identity on offense. They're a very tough power running team, almost, I mean, to the extreme. And I think what people forgot is that the Seahawks are a top five organization in the league. And even in a year where they're going through some upheaval in their roster, they're going to find a way to compete and probably make the playoffs. Whereas the 49ers, they have a lot of promise and hope, uh, mostly tied up in Kyle Shanahan and the things he did in Atlanta. But he's unproven. The, the, the team, the franchise still has a lot to prove. And until they can show that they uh, 
can win on the road, they're really not in the Seahawks class. I mean, I think you, it's fair to say the Niners and Cardinals are both bottom five organizations in the league, and they're going to uh, the Niners in particular are going to need some some brilliance and some magic from Kyle Shanahan to dig them out of that. The way Jim Harbaugh, uh, this the, the same way Jim Harbaugh provided the 49ers six seven years ago. I would feel very strongly the same way as you do there. And if you look at a team like the Cardinals, who obviously had the the change at uh, coach again this season, so things are being shook up very quickly there. Obviously, they had a bit of stability back when they had uh, Palmer and Bruce Arians. So things are changing quickly. They really only have David Johnson and uh, Larry Fitzgerald there from you know the long-term perspective moving back the way. So it's going to be interesting. Obviously, Larry has a couple of years left in him. Um, every year we get the retirement story. But when you look at the 40 40- and the Cardinals there at the bottom as you mentioned and it does feel like this here is a make or break off season for a lot of people involved obviously the Cardinals there's a younger team so it's not as important but I mean for developing for three or four years down the line if you blow these draft picks in 2019 it could set them back to the they're in the same position next year so it is is vital for them to get back on track the other one with the 49ers is I know we've talked about Kyle Shanahan on the show before and I am a fan of what he has done particularly in Atlanta but he hasn't been able to really take that over to the 49ers so far obviously when Jimmy Garoppolo came into the the team two years ago as part of that trade in the midseason they had a strong finish maybe our expectations were a little bit too high heading into last season then obviously Garoppolo got injured McKinnon who was signed as a high value free agent he got injured so maybe he hasn't had a chance to really stamp his mark on this team but it feels like this offseason and this season is very important for not just uh, not just Shanahan as a coach but also Garoppolo as quarterback and also uh, you know if you look at some of the people making the big decisions in San Francisco does it feel like that for you and being around the team does it feel like this could be make or break for a, a number of people on this organization well it should be it's year three and in the NFL you really most coaches and and GMs don't get more than three years to prove something. I mean, nowadays you can get fired after the first year if you don't do much. So yes, I think it's make or break in a lot of ways. And if uh, Vegas has the over under for the Niners at eight wins, I think that's probably reasonable. And if they don't reach eight, if they get seven six, I think someone's getting fired. Now you could make the argument that if they have a third straight losing season, that Kyle Shanahan deserves to get fired. But I'm guessing, and I don't, I don't have inside knowledge here. I'm guessing they probably won't fire him unless they win like three or four games, for a few reasons. One, there's no offset clause in his contract. If they were to fire him and he were to get another job, they'd still have to pay him the rest of his money, not a prorated amount. Um, so that's big. Two, if they were to fire Kyle Shanahan, he almost certainly would get another job in the league, maybe as a head coach. I mean, look at Adam Gase. He, I, I think those two have a lot in common. Gase. Never succeeded in, in Miami, got fired, as he should have, but immediately uh, landed on his feet in, in the jet, oh, with the Jets because NFL owners want these young offensive coaches. So I think Jed York would be cognizant of that. They'd have to uh, Kyle Shanahan would get another job. They'd still have to pay him, and he may, he may do better somewhere else. He may go back to Atlanta and be an offensive coordinator or their head coach. Who knows? So there's some risk f- firing him. The person who I think is really on the hot seat is the – General manager, uh, John Lynch. He's had some some bad drafts, taking Solomon Thomas, Reuben Foster. He's had some uh, – C.J. Beathard. He's had some bad free agencies, signing Pierre Garçon. Um, he really hasn't done much, and I think the perception around the league is that he doesn't even have that much power. Uh, Parag Marath is in charge of the contracts. Uh, I think Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala, defensive coordinator, are basically in charge of scouting. I think they say who they like, and John Lynch goes and gets them. Um, if they were to fire John Lynch at the end of the season, if they were to make him the scapegoat, the fall guy, 
Uh, it may not be fair because he may not be just he may be just doing what the coaches want him to do and picking the players they want. But say you fire John Lynch at the end of the year, would he become a GM anywhere else? I doubt it. Would any other team want him as an executive or a scout? No. He would his problem his mm, tenure as a front office man in the NFL would probably be over, and he'd probably have to go back to being a a, a broadcaster. So I think this is a big season for him in particular. And I think it explains why he was so aggressive in free agency. I don't think I think he understands the position he's in, and I think he feels if he's going to strike out, he's not going to strike out looking. He's going to take some mighty some mighty cuts uh, to use a base to mix to mix metaphors here, and uh, that's why he went out and signed. Quan Alexander to a record contract and traded for D Ford. If he's going to get fired, he's going to at least give himself the best chance to win with with some talented players. Yeah, and that was always a move. You know, obviously we've seen it this year with the Raiders taking somebody, even though Mayock has a lot more experience from a, a perspective of looking at uh, players moving into the NFL. But just uh, one of those decisions at the time that I thought was a little bit strange. So he is on the hot seat, but let's get it a little bit more positive for the 49ers and the 49ers fans listening. Uh, so when we look to the draft, uh, an area that's obviously I don't expect the 49ers to address at all uh, is going to be the running back position. But they have to get in Coleman, obviously, from Atlanta, who has worked obviously with the head coach before but we have Jarek McKinnon who was the high price free agency signing last year and then got injured missed the entire season Matt Breida who has impressed me in his limited opportunities it seems to be once a week he, he looks to have a season end injury who uh, manages to get back up and play on for the rest of the game but out of those three do you think that's just going to be a committee all season long do you think there's one of them that leads the way and do you think there is any chance that the 49ers look to run him back in the draft I can't really see it happening no, I, I really doubt the Niners would draft a running back. I mean, they might bring one in as an undrafted free agent for training camp, but they're, they're, they have a glut of running backs. Uh, so when they signed Tevin Coleman, I was confused. And the, the, the first thing that – he's a good player, clearly a good player, and he has uh, history with Shanahan. It's a good fit. But my question is, what does this mean about Jarek McKinnon? Would they have signed Tevin Coleman if Jarek McKinnon's knee – if they knew for sure that Jarek McKinnon would make 100% – uh, recovery from his ACL tear. Kyle Shanahan said this has nothing to do with Jarek McKinnon, and I would say to that, sure, yeah, right. Um, there's no way that the Niners can know what Jarek McKinnon will look like when he returns, when he will return, if he will return. The way I look at this is Tevin Coleman is Jarek McKinnon insurance, and this puts the Niners in a nice position. They don't need Jarek McKinnon really to ever return. If he does, great. I mean, that's a great problem to have. Now they have a third running back and they can find a use for him. If he doesn't, they have Tevin Coleman who can pretty much do the same things. So the way I would sort of envision this breaking down, Matt Breida is too good to take off the field. He averaged 6.3 yards per carry on first and 10 last season. To me, that's a significant stat. The Niners run more than they pass on first down. I don't see how you take him off the field for someone else. He had 6.3 was the the highest average on first and 10 last season among running backs who had at least 90 carries. So I think he earned uh, a starting role, but still, even if Breida starts, I would expect he's going to get no more than 12 carries a game because as you mentioned, it looked like every other week he was suffering a season ending injury. He's small. Uh, he runs hard. He takes big hits. I don't think he can really hold up with a workload of more than 12 carries a game. So I think what the Niners would probably do, put McKinnon to the side for a second. You have Breida starting, 12 carries a game, Tevin Coleman as the reserve, playing more on second and third down, but also getting about 12 carries a game and maybe as much as three, four, five catches. So in terms of touches, I think Coleman will lead the group. I think Brita probably will be their best, will lead them in yards per carry um, and probably rushing yards. 
And Jarek McKinnon, again, whatever whatever he can give them, uh, whenever he returns, they'll take it. But I think having Tevin Coleman allows them to really slow play Jarek McKinnon's return. If he's not ready for training camp, don't use him. If he's not ready for week one, don't use him. If Tevin Coleman gets hurt, then you can bring McKinnon back in the fold. But uh, I think it's going to be tough for the Niners to have all three active on game day, considering there's also Raheem Mostert, who is their special teams ace. He's one of the best special team players in the league, and he's a running back. So I think it's Week one, I would expect Mostert, Coleman, and Breida to be active. And uh, McKinnon would have to really show something in preseason to be active that week one. If he, he almost feels like the ace in the hole for them. If, if someone gets hurt and Breida gets hurt a lot, then you can bring McKinnon in midseason and hopefully uh, he can give you something. I just don't think they're really counting on him to give them anything. He's pretty much gravy to them, I would, I would guess. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, when we look then at the offensive side of the ball, obviously last year uh, they, they had quite a lot of injuries. Uh, Marquise Goodwin missing a large chunk of the season. Same with Gershon, who you mentioned earlier. So George Kittle was the major bright spot on this uh, offense. Obviously, you know, just dominated all season long. Um, so I guess uh, he's obviously the, the star there at the moment. But when you look at uh, somebody like Dante Pettis, you look at Marquise Goodwin, and then you look at the other options on the skill skill side of the ball. What's your thoughts on what they may do? I've seen on Twitter over the last couple of days, you've been breaking down some of those top wide receiver prospects. Do you think that is where the 49ers are likely to go with those uh, early picks in the draft? Yeah, I, I would expect the Niners would seriously consider taking a wide receiver with their second pick, their second round pick, number 36 overall. Because like you said, George Kittle is a terrific player and he is the the main vein of their passing game. But Take him aside. He's a tight end. He's terrific. But if you just look at their wide receivers, I think you could make the argument that the Niners wide receivers are probably as weak and unproven as any team's wide receivers in the league. And that's not a shot at the 49ers. It's just where they stand right now. I think they understand that. Uh, Dante Pettis, they like him, but he got hurt about three times last year. He still isn't proven, although he has talent. Uh, Kendrick Bourne is probably not a starting player in the league. Marquise Goodwin is inconsistent, but he's useful. I think they'll find a role for him as like a number three receiver, sort of like the way Shanahan used Taylor Gabriel in Atlanta, that number three guy who plays outside and stretches the field. But they don't have a single uh, proven starting receiver on the roster. Um, That includes Jordan Matthews. I mean, he was a decent slot receiver a few years ago, but injuries have really slowed him down. Um, The way I look at it is they want Pettis to be their starting split end. He's pretty good in space. He can beat press. He's not the fastest guy, but he's pretty fast, and he's terrific with double moves. He's like a basketball player that can shake you one-on-one, but he's not the kind of guy you want running slants and square ends into traffic because uh, I don't know how many hits from from linebackers and safeties he can really take. You want him one-on-one against a corner. Um, Goodwin will play probably uh, here and there on first and second down when the Niners want to take play action passes deep uh, because he's the deep threat. But they need a flanker. I mean, they had Pierre Garçon. He was he sp- fulfilled a specific role that Kittle can't fill. Kittle's very good, but he's not a contested catch guy. He's the kind of guy uh, you give him the ball and let him run after the catch. So who is their contested catch guy? They're looking for a flanker. I wouldn't be surprised if they drafted that guy in the second round. And really, there's two guys I'm looking at. A.J. Brown from Ole Miss. And if he's not there, then and Kill Harry from Arizona State. And if both of those guys aren't there... The Niners are in a tough spot. They may have to uh, draft a guy in a later round who has, you know, potential. Someone like Miles Boykin from Notre Dame. I think those are three guys the Niners are looking at real closely. And I think it's something that they need to address early. And I, I wouldn't feel comfortable if I was John Lynch waiting until round three or four, because I think you need a, a rookie wide receiver who can start right away. 
If they had signed a guy like Adam Humphreys or Dante Moncrief or Tyrell Williams in free agency, they could wait on, on, on wide receiver and take one in round three or four. But since they didn't do that and they took a guy in Jordan Matthews who may not even make the team, has been cut by a few teams, uh, got cut by the Patriots after like a month, they're going to have to take someone pretty high. And I, those are the three guys. Those are, A.J. Brown and Nikhil Harry, I think the Niners would be ecstatic if one of those two were available at pick 36. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. And then when you look at it, obviously you mentioned uh, in the second round, pick 36. Well, obviously they have the number two overall pick. Um, I guess the way you could look at it, they could look to move that pick. Um, but if they don't, if they, if they keep it draft at that point, where's the other key areas that you think that really need strengthening on this team, whether it be uh, offensive line or if it's on the defensive side of the ball, where do you expect that number two overall pick to be to be spent? Yeah, that's a great question. And I do think they're trying their best to trade down. But if one way or another, I think that first pick is going to be an edge rusher. Because even though they have D Ford, they need one more edge rusher. He's not enough. Uh, the other edge rusher right now is Ronald Blair, who's decent, but probably better as a backup. Um, so, yeah, I think they got to go edge rush with the first pick. And what I think they're doing, and I could be wrong, uh, they're making it very clear that they like Quinnen Williams and Nick Bosa. I don't really think the Niners want to take either one. Uh, Quinnen Williams would be the fourth interior defensive lineman they would take in the uh, fifth round in, in the first round in five years. That's a poor use of resources. And Nick Bosa plays the same exact position as D Ford. They're both Leo. So one guy would have to come off the bench. And I don't think you want to have, you don't want to uh, take a guy with the number two pick and make him a bench player for two, three years. So I think what they're trying to do is attach themselves to the consensus top players at that pick and hope that some team falls in love with Bosa, falls in love with Quinn Williams and makes the Niners an offer. Um, I think what they would like to do is take is maybe trade down two, three, four spots, go down to the Raiders at pick four, go down to the Giants at pick six, and come away with Josh Allen or Brian Burns. Because if you look at the Niners, the moves the Niners made this offseason, uh, they signed a corner, they signed a free safety, they signed a uh, they traded for D Ford, who's a Leo. They didn't really address the Sam linebacker position. They brought back Mark and Zoucha, who's a special teams guy and not really a factor at that spot. Uh, there's a wide open spot for Josh Allen to be the starting Sam and uh, bookend D Ford at defensive end in the nickel defense. I think they probably don't have the courage or the conviction to take Josh Allen number two. Uh, they would get a, 
a lot of people would criticize the 49ers if they made that pick. And I don't think the Niners really want the criticism or want the heat. But I think they'd love to trade down and take Josh Allen with the fourth pick. And if they have to trade down to with the Giants to number six and Allen isn't there, I think they would probably take Brian Burns. I think that's another guy who fits their offense, their defense perfectly. They're looking more for that speed, bendy uh, type coming around the corner than uh, someone who wins with a bull rush like um, Cleland Farrell or Montez Sweat. I don't think those two really fit the Niners defense. I think they would like Burns or Allen. Uh, uh, ideally, um, if they can, tra- I don't, that doesn't mean they can trade down. I mean, this seems like the year where a lot of teams want to trade down. I mean, the Cardinals might want to trade down. The Jets might want to trade down. There's not a lot of quarterbacks that teams are dying to have. It might be a pipe dream, but I think that's probably what the Niners are keeping their fingers crossed that come draft time, that maybe even the day of the draft, someone just says, you know, I got to have Nick, I got to have Nick Bosa. Let's make the Niners an offer. I think that would be best case. Yeah, it's always that balancing act to see if you can if you can shuffle back but still get the guy you want. So it's always a, an interesting balancing act. We move on to a team that has that first overall pick, and they should at this stage probably have a good idea uh, of who they're going to take. Obviously, if you look back to last year, look at this time last year, how many people thought that there was a lot of people in the analytics community thought that Baker Mayfield should go first overall, but it didn't seem like it was a realistic thing that was going to happen. So things can change very quickly over those last couple of weeks or last couple of days. But uh, there's a lot of talk, obviously, of uh, Kyler Murray and that first overall pick for the Arizona Cardinals, new head coach there, Cliffs Kingsbury coming in. So there's a lot, a lot of things, like I mentioned, at the start changing in Arizona. Do you think at this point, obviously, they're just picking ahead of the 49ers? Can you see anything other than them taking a quarterback at that position? Obviously, there's talk that their quarterback and Josh Rosen could be on the move as well via trade, which will probably happen in that week off the draft or on draft day. That's a great question. I mean... They could be doing what the 49ers are doing. I mean, the Niners are making it real clear they like Nick Bosa. So if a team wants to trade for Bosa, they got to come through the 40. The Cardinals could be doing the same things with Kyler Murray. We really like Kyler Murray. He's the guy. So if a team like, say, the Raiders want Kyler Murray, they know they got to trade up. And maybe the Cardinals would prefer to have, you know, three, four picks as opposed to one guy. There's reason to believe that's a smart move. I don't think any team's really going to make give the Cardinals a, a great deal for Kyler Murray. I think they're going to end up taking Kyler Murray. Um, for a few reasons. One, Cliff Kingsbury's on the record saying he likes him. He would take him with the number one pick, and they've uh, he's coached Kyler Murray before. He recruited Kyler Murray. And then the other thing you said, Baker Mayfield going number one last year and having success, that makes it much easier for Cliff Kingsbury to go to the GM and the owner of his team and say, you know what, I know it seems a little unprecedented to take a 5'10 quarterback, but Look, he played in the same offense as Baker Mayfield. He had the same results as Baker Mayfield. Um, Baker Mayfield is going to help Kyler Murray get pick number one. You know, like some of these times, some time, like maybe the Seahawks really liked Russell Wilson and would have taken him in the first round in 2012, but you couldn't sell the owner on that. You couldn't sell the owner on on taking a 5'10 quarterback in the first round. You have to take him later. I think the fact that Baker Mayfield works out allows you to take Kyler Murray in the first with the first pick. And it's sort of like how uh, George Kittle works out. He's a fifth round pick. He, now he explodes in the NFL and now everyone's looking at other Iowa tight ends. I, George Kittle's going to get TJ Hawkinson and uh, Noah Fant picked in the first round just because he worked out. Happens a lot. Yes, I expect Kyler Murray to go first uh, to the Arizona Cardinals, m- most likely. 
Yeah, and if you look at, you know, you mentioned there, that was the point I was going to make. You, Drew Brees came into the league too small. Uh, then it kind of led the way to Russell Wilson was a third-round pick. Possibly could he become a starting quarterback? Then Russell Wilson does what he does and wins a Super Bowl. Then that opens the door to Baker Mayfield because of the similar height, and then it opens the door. So it always takes a step forward, whether it's at the quarterback position, which it obviously stands out more because quarterback's such a vital part to the organization. But it does happen in all positions of the field. We've seen Richard Sherman coming into the league. Then people went for the, the kind of long, taller cornerbacks and it kind of shakes people follow it's you know how they say it's a copycat league so always interesting to see how it shakes out now i do think that the the cardinals do have some good pieces on that roster but they i think they're quite a few pieces away from being anywhere near competing in this division obviously larry fitzgerald is getting towards the end but i think it's vitally important to have somebody like him who can mentor some of the the younger players coming through in that organization i do think somebody like christian kirk has a huge amount of potential we've seen flashes of it last year obviously josh rosen was the quarterback and those seeing his accuracy issues and things like that but it was a tough situation i think he did enough to impress me they do have ricky seedis jones who can show flashes at tight end as well but there's a lot of question marks around this obviously they have their running back in david johnson but it is as it is a team with a lot of question marks from what i mentioned earlier in the show where they had bruce arians a couple of years ago and they were a team that was kind of trying to get over that hump to get to the super bowl again do you think that this team is far away and is there any key areas outside of the quarterback where you think they really do need to strengthen well, I, I, I do think they're far away. I'm, I'm not a big believer in Cliff Kingsbury. I mean, the guy just got fired and then he, uh, from a college team and he gets rewarded with a NFL head coaching job. Uh, I think I, I'm skeptical and I know a lot of head uh, position coaches in the league are skeptical. A lot of people were afraid to work with him because they don't know him. They have no connection to him and they're not necessarily uh, certain that he's going to last long. So that aside... What he does have on his side is the element of surprise. People have no idea what his offense is going to look like. And I've been watching Texas Tech tape from last season, and it's quite interesting because his base offense is called 10 personnel. That's one running back and four wide receivers. He uses a tight end sometimes, but mostly just to block. I mean, his his number one tight end last season at Texas Tech caught two passes all season. So what does that mean for Ricky Seals-Jones? I don't know. Ricky Seals-Jones was a wide receiver in, in, in college. They may transition him back out to wide receiver uh, in Arizona. I think the way that team's going to work out is probably the way Texas Tech worked out. I think they're probably their four leading receivers will be their four starting receivers. They're going to start four receivers. So who are the receivers going to be? Clearly one will be Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, another will be Christian Kirk. And I think that's the guy who's going to have the biggest, who's going to be the biggest beneficiary of Cliff Kingsbury. Um, because if you look at Kingsbury's offense, that air raid offense, he does run the ball sometimes, but it's not, it's not like a dominant power running uh, scheme since there's no tight end, there's no fullback. Uh, What he does to replace the run a lot is throw bubble screens. They throw a ton of bubble screens and who's the best guy to throw a bubble screen to on the Cardinals. I mean, not Larry Fitzgerald. He's great, but he really want him more over the middle, making contested catches, almost like a tight end. If you want to throw a bubble screen, you're going to throw it to Christian Kirk. Um, and then the other guy I would, I would mention is Farrell Cooper, another uh, slot receiver who played in, this, in a air raid spread offense in college. I would expect especially Kirk, but Cooper to a lesser extent, those two to get a lot of work in the slot and to catch a lot of bubble screens. I think Christian Kirk could have a huge year. I really like him, and I think he's going to get a lot more targets this year. 
Yeah, he's the player I like. Uh, I liked him coming out of college, and I liked enough of what I've seen last year. But it's going to be interesting to see. This is one of those things where this offense, after two weeks of the season, we could say, well, this is something we've never seen before, and it's actually working. Or, or it feels like there's a lot more of a chance that it's really going to not work. And I have a feeling we could really see the Cardinals in a similar position next year, very close to that number one overall pick. But teams turned it around quicker and very quick succession before, so we'll see what happens. But let's talk now about the, the two teams who um, have had success over the last couple of seasons that is the the Seahawks and the Rams Uh, so when we hit on the Seahawks 10 and 6 last season and I think um, you know I think Pete Carroll done a very very good job because at this time last year we were talking about a rebuild how this team needed to shake things up obviously there's been talk over the last 24 hours of them trying to get a new deal with Russell Wilson I did think they mismanaged how they used him last year I think they could have done a lot more in terms of the passing game they were very very stuck to the run game obviously it got them a certain amount of success but I think to some of the games they didn't win and I think they could have got a little bit more out of those games if they had to pass the ball a little bit more but when you look at this team obviously they've the legion of boom has kind of all moved on now uh so they're they're switching things up but how, how do you see this from a, a divisional rivalry do you think this team is still um quite at the level they were last year do you think they're on the way up or are they on the way down from what we were expecting heading into last season i think they're on the way up i think last year was one of their more vulnerable years they, re, they retooled quickly and i think they have a lot of nice um young players on their team i mean Doug Baldwin's getting a little bit older, but Tyler Lockett really came into his own last year. Uh, I, I saw a stat that Russell Wilson's quarterback rating when tar- targeting Lockett for the entire season was 158.3, just perfect. So I think what happened was they they went into the season expecting to use Doug Baldwin as the possession receiver and expecting to use Tyler Lockett as the big play guy. You know, on first down, when you want to take a play action shot downfield, you throw to Lockett. On third down, when you need to get uh, you move the chains, you throw to Baldwin. I think maybe halfway, three quarters of the year, they realized, geez, Lockett's our best receiver. He can do everything, and we need to give him more targets. I think probably when they do a self-diagnosis of their offense from last season, um, they would probably say, we didn't get Lockett the ball enough. Now, you mentioned they didn't throw the ball enough, and they probably should have thrown more. I'm in the minority on that. I'm not a fan of their offensive coordinator, uh, little shoddy, I call him, Brian Schottenheimer. Um, But I do understand (laughs) that, look, if you're going to have a drop back passing game, like not play action, but just straight drop back, you need more than two legitimate targets. You have Lockett and Baldwin. I mean, it's easy to double both of them and force Russell Wilson to throw to a tight end or throw to a running back. And they just didn't have those players last year. I mean, their starting tight end was an offensive tackle, uh, Fant, George Fant. They would use Nick Vanette a little bit, but he's not a receiving threat. These are issues they need to address because if you, you can't you can't have an NFL offense with only two with only two targets. You need to have a third guy, especially a team like the Seahawks that likes to do a lot of 11 personnel. So um, I, I feel like I answered like seven questions in one, but they need to, they need to add another wide receiver. Uh, they really need to add another wide receiver in this draft. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's a good draft to try and target some wide receivers as well. So I think that, like you mentioned, I would like to see Tyler Lockett involved more. I think his skill set um, is there and it needs to be utilized um, moving forward. I just think Russell Wilson can do a lot more than they allowed him to do last year. But when you talk about uh, the running back situation, obviously taking uh, a running back high in the draft last year, then they have Chris Carson still there. So I think there's a, a solid 
kind of foundation for them there to, to get things going again from the running back position they've always had the issues with the offensive line over the last few years I think it was a little bit better um, last season so there's a couple of things they need to do but I think uh, something that you kind of mentioned there I think they retooled very quickly last year's draft I think really set them up for success because I did think they were going to really have a, a down year last year and they were able to to succeed and I think that's why they did run the ball quite as much I didn't think they really were as confident in their defense at the start of the season as they were when it went on so I think that built up as the season went on and obviously um this year that can be extended upon but when you look at their draft picks in terms of what they have they only have four draft picks this year they have number 21 overall they've picked 20 in the third round pick 22 in the fourth round pick 21 in the fifth round so they don't have a huge amount of ammunition heading in here into this draft to add a huge amount so I think they have to be very uh, spot on with the picks they make to be able to uh, make this offense or and defense improve. Obviously, I think we could see a couple of uh, undrafted free agents heading up that way to Seattle. I think that's the way they'll really need to to strengthen this team. Is there any areas that you think are, are key areas outside of the wide receiver position that they they need? I don't think that that number uh, twenty one overall pick. I don't know if they'll use that on a wide receiver, but I could see them maybe even trying to move back a little bit there to try and stock up on an extra draft pick, maybe in the you know in the later rounds to try and fill out that roster. How do you think they'll manage those four picks? Yeah, I think they try to trade down. You, you got to have more than four draft picks. I mean, the Niners are, are in a similar position; they have six draft picks, and I just said earlier they need to trade down because they have so many needs. I think that the Seahawks are in the same spot, but in that first round, I agree they won't take a wide receiver there. But if someone like T.J. Hawkinson or Noah Fant is available for the Seahawks at that, spick, at that pick, maybe they would take him there, or maybe they would trade down four or five spots and take him. I think they could really, really benefit from a quality tight end. Um, I mean, using that extra offensive lineman as a tight end helped their running game, but it, it kind of makes them one-dimensional. I mean, you know they're not going to really be a, a drop-back passing threat from that personnel grouping. If they could get a, a, a true – quality tight end who can block and catch it would really open up their offense make them much more difficult to defend I don't see how they could really they would have to think very hard about trading down if Hawkinson or or Fant is on the board I think those two uh, guys would be just natural fits for the Seahawks and then they don't have a a pick in the second round but in the third round I could see them trying to get the best edge rusher available if there isn't a good edge rusher available sometimes those guys go in the first two rounds but you know the Seahawks they have Frank Clark. They could use another edge rusher. And you know they love guys who are great athletes. They pretty much popularize that whole Spark, S-P-R, S-P-A-R-Q system. And so you look at two guys. One, Ja'Kai Polite. Ja'Chai Polite. I don't know how to pronounce his name. <laughs> he, he was a good player in college, had good film, just did a terrible job at the combine. That's usually the kind of player the Seahawks don't take. They rather – I mean their, their philosophy is um, most good football players are good athletes too. And they don't try to make the risk of uh, they don't try to take the risk of trying to find those rare good football players who are sub uh, sub average athletes. So a name I would throw out there for the Seahawks is Ben Benogu, uh, an edge rusher from TCU who just was like 99th percentile at the combine. That might be someone the Seahawks take a, uh, a chance on in the third. Yeah, and when you, when you look at this, you, you know, you mentioned earlier about organization. Uh, if you're looking at the GM and, and the coach, you know, with the 49ers or with the, the Cardinals, if you look at the, the Seahawks, you mentioned it earlier, like they're, they are, they're there with the Steelers, they're there with the, the Patriots, the Packers. In terms of the, the organizational structure and how things have been able to, you know, consistently be there every year. So I think it's a, it's a big advantage when you have that going in. There's less people kind of doubting what you're going to do so you can make the freedom in those decisions. So it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it. The last team we're going to head on here are a team who 
who nearly uh, won it all last year who were hugely exciting to watch particularly in the first half of the season I do think they cooled off a little bit uh, in that second half of the season particularly after their bye week but the Rams obviously um, have a first round pick at number 31 and then they have no pick until the third round two picks in the third one in the fourth fifth sixth and seventh now th- there is a situation here where we see teams they get to the the Super Bowl they were on that trajectory you know almost got there um two years ago got there last year lost there's that trajectory where you get to that point and you never get back or you can get there and you can win it and it's sometimes it's hard to get there lose and then get back to it we've seen the Patriots do it over the last two seasons but it's very very difficult to get back to that game again uh, what do you think they need to do you know to improve this team do you think they they still can make that step next year to get back to the Super Bowl and, and where do you think they need to strengthen heading into this draft well I this is a really good question and this is sort of like a fantasy football show so you're asking me like what players do they need to add I would argue um, this is one of the most talented rosters in the league they were 13 and 3 last season they have talent at all their position players on the offensive line on defense at quarterback I think the main reason they flopped in the Super Bowl was because of their genius off uh, head coach uh, Sean McVay as terrific as he is he came into the game with no wrinkles. He didn't change his offense. He went basically with the same system he ran all year. Bill Belichick had two weeks to scout it. They scouted it perfectly. And a lot of players in the Patriots after the Super Bowl said, we're really surprised, you know, usually in a game like this where you have two weeks to prepare, both teams come in with four, five, six unscouted plays, you know, things they've never run. And the Rams never did that. So what the, the Patriots did was they, what Belichick did in particular, was just provide the NFL with a blueprint on how to stop the Rams base offense. You know, you, you have to you have to have those guys out wide, the outside linebackers to take away the jet sweep. Once you do that, their running game becomes pretty simplistic and their offense in general becomes pretty simplistic. So for them to make it back, I think McVay, and this isn't really a fantasy football answer, but I think McVay is going to have to evolve his offense because if he comes back with the same stuff that he ran last year and in the Super Bowl, everyone's going to watch the tape from the Super Bowl. Everyone's going to do the same stuff. And I want to give you one example real quick. The Niners are talking about they want to use more wide nine techniques on defense. That means taking the defensive ends and moving them out wider. And I mean, why are they doing that? Because that's what the Patriots basically did in the Super Bowl to stop the Rams, to take away the jet sweep. The Niners are going to have to face the Rams twice a year and the Cardinals twice a year. The the Cardinals use the jet sweep a lot too in that air raid offense. Um, So that's four of the 16 games the Niners are going to have to stop the jet sweep. You're going to see a lot of teams come into the season with stopping the jet sweep as like priority one, sort of like six years ago when everyone decided they need to stop the, the zone read. So I think the Rams, it's on Sean McVay. He's very clever, but he needs to have some new wrinkles or else the whole league is going to be ready for his system. Uh, And that's going to, that could hurt every single uh, skill player on the team in terms of fantasy football. Yeah, and I do think that you mentioned there, I think it was a little bit, I, I know vanilla is not the right word for it, but I think in terms of what we expected him to produce in the Super Bowl and maybe to have a plan B for if Belichick was able to stop what he wanted to do. And that's kind of exactly what did happen in this one. But if you look at the continuity that they'll be bringing over into next season, you know, they have their running back in Gardley, their quarterback in Goff, they have Cooks, Woods and Cup will be back from his injury. I think when he went out, that actually did affect this team quite considerably for the that duration of the season. So having him back will be a big help. They do have Josh Reynolds who played quite well last season and then they have their tight ends who aren't stars but they have Everett and Higby who can do a serviceable role so they have a lot of continuity coming over in that offense so I think 
really where they'll look to strengthen in this draft will be little bits of the defense where they, they do have a lot of star power on that defense but i think they'll, they'll try and reinforce it a little bit to, to step that up because i think if if they can get things going on offense which i would expect them to be able to do i think defense is the area they look but it's going to be fascinating as uh, you know getting back to the super bowl in a second occasion is something that's very difficult and we often think oh they'll get back there again we thought the seahawks would get back there again and obviously they haven't got back since it's you know we talk about dynasties but outside of the patriots they they're very short-lived in terms of how you know you have a two or three year window the 49ers had that a couple of years ago uh, you know the things go very very quickly once the the things change with the coaching staff and some of the player personnel so it's uh, it's been great running through the division i'm i'm already looking forward you know you get you get you get out of the situation you're not talking as much football then once you start to talk about it even if it's only for a short period of time you really start to get at it uh, to look through all the things again so it's been a lot of fun grant having you on the show make sure you follow grant on twitter at grant cohen lots of good nuggets from not only the 49ers but the draft as well looking into the player prospects so grant as always thank you for your time oh, this was a lot of fun i could have went i could have went another hour with you this was a, a lot of fun i'm surprised it's already been 38 minutes but uh really enjoyed it as always and looking forward to the next one. Thanks once again to Grant. Make sure you are following him on Twitter at Grant Cohen. A lot of good information coming from him as always. One of my favorite reporters to talk to around the NFL. And that is really going to do it for today's show. I think we packed in a lot of good information looking around the NFC West. And of course, I mentioned we're going to be doing eight shows looking around the divisions. Be sure to check those out up on rotaviz.com and on all your favorite podcast providers. As always, you can leave us a written and a review if you're listening on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter. My name is Colin Kelly and I am at Overtime Ireland. Until we're back with another one of these shows, of course, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the special draft edition of Road of His Radio. Please rate and review the Road of His Radio podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. You can contact us today, email at roadofhisradio at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Road of His Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Road of His Radio with a 30% discount through the Road of His Radio homepage, roadofhis.com forward slash podcast. This episode is brought to you by Decoy Wines of Sonoma, California. As you gather with family and friends this summer, experience the best of wine country with Decoy by Duckhorn. Winemaker Tyson Wolf spends every vintage focused on harvesting grapes and crafting wines from the finest vineyards. Whether it's our flagship Cabernet or crisp and refreshing Rosé, Decoy has just the wine for your discerning taste. Ask for us at your local wine shop or visit decoywines.com slash celebrate to locate our wines near you. Whether you're firing up the grill, hosting an alfresco get-together, or enjoying the warm summer nights, let Decoy by Duckhorn elevate your occasion. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.